Romans chapter 8, reading from verse 22 through to 27, um, or actually from verse 18, rather, Romans chapter 8, reading from verse 18 through to 27, and um, this is what the Word of God says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope. That the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they, have or they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And He who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. How do we live as faithful Christians? How do we live as hope-filled believers amidst the reality of a world that is reeling in pain, that suffering is prevalent? Uh, certainly the the biblical perspective given uh, since the fall of man is that suffering is a part of the human existence. It is a part of creation. The early church suffered along with the prophets of old, along with the nation of Israel, and so on. And certainly Jesus, according to the prophetic words of Isaiah, was a man who was acquainted, familiar with suffering and with pain. To experience suffering is common to our everyday human experience. Uh, suffering, as I have just said, was the unquestionable reality of the early church. And certainly a significant part of Paul, who writes the words we have just read, of this, uh, this author's life. But this morning, Paul offers us an insight into how Christians are able to live amidst the reality of a world that is often in turmoil, in which suffering is not only observable, but suffering is experienced. I uh, personally uh, felt compelled this week by God's Spirit, I believe, as I heard about the events of this past week, and as I thought about events in my personal experience in history and present life, that God has something to say for us as we live in the real world, where oftentimes being a Christian does not imply that somehow we are not subjected to the harshness and the realities of this world. I thought a little bit about this, and I said to myself, I don't want to be a downer, especially on a day that comes after 110 milliliters of rain. 
A day in which the sun is shining. A day in which uh, the worship of God's people should reveal and, 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 and showcase that, that we are almost like sunflowers. That, that when we come before the presence of the Holy God, we, we light up. And, and so certainly my intention this morning is not to be depressing. But I hope that as we make our way through this scripture, that you too would experience the hope and the joy of knowing why God makes a difference in our lives. Paul, first of all, measures suffering. And when he speaks of suffering, he's specifically speaking about the kind of suffering that would come to those who profess Christ as Lord. It is a suffering that is foreign to most of us. We do not pay that kind of price as the apostles in the early church may have paid for their belief in Jesus. But we do know in certain world regions to this day, to profess Christ as Lord implies suffering because of your beliefs. Most of our sufferings are sufferings uh, of the flesh, sufferings of humanity. We cannot always say that we suffer because of what we believe in. And so there's a sense in which we struggle to understand where Paul is coming from. But take it from me and, and take it on, 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 good, on your pastor's good research that when Paul here refers to suffering, he is certainly speaking about the kind of pain that can come to somebody who believes as it did to Stephen the first martyr, but he is also speaking about the wide scope of suffering that affects all of humanity. He is speaking about illness, bereavement, hunger, financial reversal, and even death itself. But what he does when he speaks about suffering, he says, as heavy as it may be, as difficult as suffering is, As harsh as that reality may be in our personal experience or in our world. He says, suffering has to be weighed. On the one side of the scale is suffering and all its evil and all its pain and all its misery. And on the other side of the scale, according to verse 18, he says, is the glory that will be revealed in us. You see what Paul is saying. Is that followers of Jesus, their hope for what is to come outweighs anything that they may experience, encounter in this present world. What he's literally saying is, listen, suffering is a part of the Christian walk. Suffering is a part of all creation. Everyone suffers. To be a Christian doesn't mean you're excluded. Neither does it mean you're more saintly when you suffer more. But what he's saying is, in a world in which suffering is prevalent, the Christian hope outweighs the weight of suffering. Now at this point, I was hoping for one amen. Thank you, brother. Thank you so much. I I ought to take you for coffee. Uh, Paul's theology reflects a reality that I think is important this morning for us. He offers a perspective of the Christian life. And and, and he says this, and and this is on my way to my main point. But he says this. He says, listen, uh, the, the, the suffering that is incumbent of this life and this world will come. And maybe this is not such a grand truth to some of us, but but think about the many theologies, the many philosophies that is out there that suggest somehow that our Christianity means that we will not suffer. 
Think about some of the things that is preached in the name of God to suggest this. That if we are obedient to him, if we just do his will, then somehow we will escape the harshness of this world. Think about how our prayer lives often reflect a belief that somehow God should spare us from this harsh reality in this world. But then I look to Jesus and I think about the garden of Gethsemane and I hear his prayer as he anticipates the deepest suffering of his life. And he says this, Father, uh, please take this away from me. You know what I appreciate the more I think about Jesus is how human he is, how just like me he is. You know, it would be one thing if Jesus was in the garden and this is what he said, man, I'm sure looking forward to dying a brutal Roman cross death. But he says it as I would say it. He says it as you would say it. He says in his flesh, I do not look forward to suffering. There's something about it that is hard for the human condition. We have not been made to suffer. We do not desire to suffer. And yet in that moment when he says what he says, he immediately turns his gaze towards God and he says, yet not my will, but thy will be done. Which leads me to conclude that if the author and the perfecter of my Christian faith suffered and I desired to be like him, then I too must walk such a road. It is important for me for many reasons this morning, mostly personal, to think deeply about my Christian faith in the context of my own flesh and my own limitations. It is important for us, in light of all that we now know that is happening in our world, to, as a Christian, have a deep understanding That suffering, according to Scripture, will not crush us. You know, uh, I think that in a worldview in which there is no God, in a nihilistic perspective of life, suffering has the weight to crush us. I think when there is no future hope, when there's no future glory, then the best we can hope for in our current context and current world is that somehow and, and, and by pure chance we would escape pain. Uh, the, the, the reality of the world we live in is that it proposes that, that, that there's fortune that comes to those who are fortunate and if you are the weakest and if you are the least, man, it sucks and that's the end of it. But can I say this to you? Our future hope determines that ultimately whatever we endure in the present will pale in comparison to what God has promised. Now the reason this truth does not motivate us to jump as we would at a hockey game cheering for the Edmonton Oilers. Just wanted to wake some of you up. It's because, oh my goodness. Sin is creeping in as I preach. (laughs) Is that in our flesh, we cling to this world. So much so, that it is hard to believe that what is promised is far more worthy than this. You see, I I believe this morning that the, the, the scripture invites us to consider how it is that God through His Spirit enables us to live with hope amidst suffering. 
You know, uh, Paul tells us in this particular text, he, he, he says that, 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 that having a Christian hope changes everything. Having a Christian hope changes how Christians approach the idea or the problem of evil and suffering and pain. Can I say this to you? Over the course of my life, I have sat with people who, in their pain I cannot adequately understand. Some of you know that I have had my own share of pain. And yet there is pain and suffering in the life of people that I cannot adequately relate to. The little baby, uh, just, just a little baby that just passed away this past year, uh, this past week. I cannot fathom such tremendous suffering. I cannot understand what it would do to a mother's heart. All the hopes and dreams of a little infant. Some of you understand this intuitively. All the dreams of that little life taken away. I cannot understand what it feels like to be in your, in your early 30s and to be told you have weeks to live. I cannot adequately relate to some of the pain and the suffering and the confusion and the evil that brings it to our, to our lives. But I do believe that Paul is saying something quite important for me this morning. He says, Stu, no matter how dark the world may become, both in what you see and what you experience, the hope that God has put before us in Jesus Christ is far greater. And it is a hope that can sustain you in this present world. Paul does not only say that what we hope for changes how we look at suffering, but he says that all of creation is crying out. You know, when I hear the word groan, I I think of deep pain. There, There are certain memories, certain thoughts in my life that when I think about this word, when I think about, uh, when I think about what I'm going through, or I think about a mistake, or when I think about something that, that I did that brought pain to others, and yes, I have done those things, that the best word that sums up is a deep word that, that, that can't verbalize itself, but it's just this deep pain. That the best way I can describe it is to borrow the biblical word groan. I, 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 I cry with inside myself. There's something deep about this word that, that resonates with all of creation. There is a longing within us because we know that things are not quite as they ought to be. It is present according to Paul, not only in humanity, but in all of creation. He says there's a longing for things to be the way that God has made it to be. Listen, let me tie it in personally for you. Some of the discontent that we will experience as Christians is placed there by the Spirit of God with the intention that it would compel us to believe and hope towards that which He has in mind. Some of the discontent of my life, I must learn by the Spirit to live with it and recognize that God God is birthing within me a greater desire to say things the way he has intended to. I believe that the reason creation is frustrated and the reason that I long is because God has created for more than this. It is such a different message, isn't it? Because... Our greatest perspectives of health and wholeness in this world stands as a wall between that which is to come. And we cannot even get there in our minds. For this reason, the Holy Spirit is so, so necessary. When we have hope, we can live through much. And what is phenomenal about our scripture is that it teaches us That not only is creation crying out, and we inwardly cry out, but it says that God, as Jeff has so wonderfully pointed out, and by the way, Jeff, that was my message that you preached there. Thanks for stealing my thunder. 
is that God joins us in this cry. The scripture says that the Spirit comes alongside us and the Spirit intercedes. The Spirit is affirming that which we all long for. The Spirit is pointing us towards wholeness. The Spirit is saying, do not settle for, but believe and anticipate amidst what this world is about, that there is a future hope in which all that you long for, that God has in mind for you, will be fulfilled. Creation longs for wholeness and completeness. In our scripture, it is defined as being liberated from bondage and decay into freedom and glory. And then, when it speaks about us, it says that our cry is for sonship and for the redemption of our body. What on earth does that mean? To cry out for sonship and the redemption of our body? Word, pictures, images, experiences of my life can only take me so far. But once again, I try. There is something incredibly affirming about the love of a father for a son. Amen. In my um, years of experience in youth ministry, uh, very often times the father was absent from the life of the students that I ministered to in the context that I was. And it's easy to blame the absent father for everything, but I will go as far as to say this. That when a dad has not been influential in the life of a child, it is never a good thing. There is something about our human nature that speaks to the divine need. We all long, essentially, deeply, for the kind of relationship that God has made possible. Uh, Grown men... Uh, Men in retirement will still speak to me about this very issue. It reveals itself in many ways, not only in them, but also in me. This deep longing. You see, what we hope for is not just that our lives would be fine and that we would have everything we need, but what we long for is the deep acceptance and affirmation that comes from God. What we truly desire According to what the Apostle Paul says, our hope is that one day what God has done through Jesus Christ and given us the words to call Him Abba Father would actually be something that is so definitively done that we will never second guess again that we are His children. How awesome would that be? You know, when we live uh, with suffering and when with pain come, you know, comes into our life and And when we go through hard things, I think what what it often does, it it, it attacks attacks that relationship. It attacks our trust and faith that we are actually a part of the family of God. That we have a place of true meaning, a place of true belonging. And so we cry out. We long for it. Some of my most treasured memories involve my dad. Seeing him show up at my games. And why would he not? I was a brilliant athlete. (laughs) But I'm sure he did not show up because of how good I was. He showed up because I was his son. You see, our cry is deep. Our longing is real. And I have to be honest and say this to you, that in this world I don't think that cry will ever cease. 
I think that the scripture that I bring before you is not a, an ABC, a self-help guide to how to fix the longing. It is rather a scripture that affirms that God knows that deep within you that is true of you and true of me. And as I have said, it is the Spirit who comes alongside us and cries out alongside us. One of the most... Uh, life-transforming experiences in my life has been in moments of suffering and pain as I have seen men and women come alongside those who are suffering. Um, with very few words, of course, but their presence there says that their pain matters. Uh, there's something about the Spirit's presence in our life when we go through situations that assures us that God cares about our pain. He cares about our suffering. He cares about what we're dealing with. You know, early in Romans 8 and last week, I tried to share on this. It says that it is this spirit that, that joins us in our cry for full adoption, for complete sonship. It is this spirit that helps us to cry, Abba, Father. And now it says this. It is this spirit who comes next to us, alongside us, and intercedes on our behalf when we are weak. You see, the longing of our hearts... Uh, it's hard to articulate, uh, but, 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 but John in, in Revelation puts it this way. He, he has a vision of this new heaven and this new earth. And this is what he says. He says, I saw the holy city of the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look. God's dwelling place is now among the people, and He will dwell with them. They will be His people, and God Himself will be with them and be their God. And then listen to this. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, no more mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Do you not long for a place where every tear will be wiped, where there will be no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, or no more pain, for the old order of things have passed away? Do we not yearn for a world that is made right? It reveals itself in my child. You know, my son Luke, what an awesome kid. I'm so, I don't even know how that happened, that I got such an awesome kid. We were together in the mall the other day, and we were walking around, and the girls were doing swimming lessons, and he adamantly refused to go to their swimming lessons. Because why should he sit there and watch them kind of thing? And so we went to the mall because it was raining most of the week. As we're walking in the mall, he says, you know what, Dad? He says, uh, I'm really, really unhappy. Actually, the way he says it, he says, I'm really not happy. I said, why are you not happy? He says, because I have like all the stuff that I want, but I can't buy it. I said, well, you have to prioritize. You, 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 you have to put you know, things in order, you know, and then, then you have to go. Up. He, he, he says this to me. He says, Dad, I've saved for like so long, and I can't buy everything on my list. 
And then I did the dad thing, right? This is what I said. I said, son, dad can't buy everything he wants. <laughs> That's good, right, Kelly? Is that good? I said, I said, dad also has a list of things he would like. But dad must choose what he likes most or needs most. And then he must choose to get that and then save up and choose to get that. And I thought, great budgeting lesson, right? Great, great budgeting lesson. Save for something. And then he said this to me. I just don't think it's fair that we even have money. <laughs> he says this whole system is corrupt. This whole thing. Let's just throw it all away because if everybody could just have everything whenever they need it, wouldn't that be the perfect world? That's my son's utopia, he says. You know, his utopia used to be tied into my credit card. He'd always say this to me. He says, Dad, we can get that. I would say, we don't have money. He says, but on your credit card, you have money. But now he got to the point where he says, away with all this nonsense. Let's just get everything we want. I think this world is wrong. And as I listened to Luke say this, I, I thought to myself, obviously the scripture being in the forefront of my mind, I thought there's something about what he's saying that is true. It is not a perfect world. It does not mean we can't enjoy it, that there's not beauty to be enjoyed, that there's not experiences to be had. It does not mean, and, and I hope this does not come as a shock to you, that when we as Christians hold up eternity, we believe in the renewal of all things, including this world. There's not an escapism in this, but there's a recognition that there is something horribly wrong. And that God comes alongside us and affirms our suspicion. So this morning, I, I offer you very simple thoughts. What do we do as we try to live amidst the reality of a world that is painful, a world in which we understand suffering, and yet a world in which we long for healing and for wholeness? According to our text, we learn to wait with a hopeful expectation. You know uh, what the scripture says, and I hope I can explain this to you. It says this. It says, we were saved in hope. It speaks about the already and the not yet. And it says it this way. It says that, yes, our lives have been saved for eternity through Jesus Christ and the love of God. But hope teaches us that that salvation will be fully realized one day. In fact, the scripture says it this way. We long for that which we don't yet have. And yet, scripture affirms that it will happen. Now, when I speak about Luke, I do that because I'm proud of my son. I, I love him. I do love my daughters equally. For those of you who are getting a little nervous. But when I say to Luke, Luke, we will get your skateboard next Thursday. Boy, I tell you what, if I miss the deadline, I'm in trouble. And yet Luke is learning, albeit painfully, to wait for Thursday. In fact, he's learning that there's a gift in waiting for Thursday. 
Now, what really was terrible about this week is the day got his, Jessica, the day got his skateboard, it was raining. The next day it was raining. The next day it was raining. <laughs> and, and, and the linoleum in our kitchen has proof that he was trying to ride his skateboard in, in, in our kitchen. But there's something about this hopeful expectation that is not about, hey, I, I, just, I just hope I'm going to make it through. I just hope I'm going to hang on. I'm just going to... No, it's about an assurance in believing that, listen, no matter what I go through, according to what God has said to us in Scripture, one day He will wipe every tear. All things will be made right. Now, I've got to tell you, that changes how I live. That, that doesn't mean that I live with, with, with my mind so focused on eternity that I don't care about the things around me. But it means this, that when I do go through the depths and the hurts and the pains, when I sit down with people as they say farewell to a loved one who is leaving them all too soon, when, when, when I hear about devastation in this world, I, I have a hope that runs deep, you see. A hope that says to me, son, this is not the final word. Suffering is not the end of it, for Christ has overcome Satan's sin and death. And when we have such a hope, that hope holds us. We can, we can wait with expectation. We can, we can live through some of the darkest experience of life. We, we can live with the, with the yearning because we know that this hope is assured. This hope will come. God is not going to disappoint us. He is not going to leave us the way we are. In the end, we can count that all that is deep within us will be made whole. But not only do we learn to wait with a hopeful expectation, we, we, we learn to trust God in our weakness. You know, uh, the, the narrative of Jesus in Mark chapter 14 in the Garden of Gethsemane as he's about to suffer the most torturous and brutal death is that he calls out to God and he says, Lord, Father, take this cup from me. And yet therein, I find great encouragement. It is the Apostle Paul who talks about a thorn in the flesh. He says he prayed numerous times. Has anybody prayed numerous times for something that feels like a thorn? Maybe a thistle? Maybe a nail? Has anybody ever asked God repetitively, God, just deal, God, you know that if this is out of my life, it would be so good. You know it and I know it, so why is it not happening? That's what Paul prayed. He says, remove the thorn in the flesh. Take it away. Take away. Take away. Take it away. Take it away. You know what the scripture says in 2 Corinthians 12? It says this. It says, God responds this way. He says, listen, my grace is sufficient for you. And hear this. For my strength is made perfect in your weakness. Huh. He may not take the thorn away. He may not remove the discomfort. This is not the popular message to preach, is it? I mean, what I'd rather say to you is you pray hard enough, he will. But the truth is, he may not. But what he says, what he teaches us, is that 
even though the intensity and the pain and the suffering we may experience will not be taken away from us in this lifetime, he has assured us of this, that his grace is sufficient to carry us through and that he will never leave us nor will he ever forsake us. In the darkest moments of some of the saints of old's time, in their darkest moment as they faced death, they, 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 they had this deep confidence and assurance that not even in death has death won. And that is simply because their hope was secure in the one whose grace is enough. I don't know what you're dealing with. I don't know if you are experiencing the impact of this world or the cry in your heart. Maybe some of us have learned very well over the years to, to try and deafen that cry with things, with, 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 with situations, with achievements, with, with all kinds of stuff. We, we try to quell it. Can I say this to you? Let, let, let it be what it is, for it is placed in your heart by the one who hopes more for you than you have. I could not say that again, even if I tried. So listen to it, because I record, we record the message. We wait with expectation, and we trust God in our weaknesses. And you know, I, I don't know if you've ever been like me, and, and, and you've, you know, you felt compelled to pray, but you didn't know how to pray. Anybody? You know, uh, this, this past week, I got news of a friend of mine who's um, experiencing some, some, some real significant health challenges. And as I try to pray for him, I think just, just the emotion of, of, of the love and, and the care for him got in the way, and I, I couldn't even find the words. And I was meditating on the scripture, and I, I kind of just, this poor theological application, I threw my hands up in the air, and I said, God, well, pray for me. You know what the scripture says? It says, you know, even in my weakness, in my weakness, God comes along. The Spirit comes along, and the Spirit intercedes on my behalf. And the Spirit prays in accordance with the will of God. And the Spirit does so much that I cannot do in my own strength. And so not only can I trust God in my weakness, but I can depend upon Him in those times. I know that He will come through. He will be the one that leads Early in Romans chapter 8, it is the Spirit that gives us the words to say, Abba, Father, here it is the Spirit who comes alongside us in our weakness and prays in ways that go beyond us. You see, I believe the text this morning teaches us that nothing we face in this world can ultimately crush us because our hope offers us more than all the suffering and the pain combined. This hope transforms the way in which we respond to unexplainable pain and suffering. It, it changes. The Christian worldview is a, is a far more comprehensive worldview. Can I say this to you, whether you're visiting with us or part of this congregation? Do not believe for one moment that Christianity is an easy road. Neither is it a road of escapism that says we just believe we're going to get out of here. But it is a, world, a, 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 a way of life that finds its real, real power in the reality of a broken world, but with the hope that God will bring restoration. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. Even when we are down and don't know how to pray, the Spirit prays on our behalf. This morning, there is uh, many people that comes to my mind that I am praying for, uh, people that are going through things that, by comparison, 
um, to what I'm dealing with is far harder, far more difficult. And so I intercede on their behalf. I pray for them. Um, I'm glad that in my life I do have people that do that for me all the time. And sometimes they'll let me know. And when they let me know, some, you know, it's, it's kind of funny how it works. When they let me know that they're praying for me, it's at times where I really, really felt that I couldn't even pray for myself, you know. And, um, and I think that's part of what it means to be Christian, is, is to intercede for others, is to come, when others are weak, to come alongside them. You know, when others are down, we, 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 don't, we don't do this. <laughs> or, or, or close our eyes. Or we come alongside. But more significantly, the Word of God teaches us this morning that, that God comes alongside. He is with us in the deep cries. And so to him this morning, I, I say, Father, help me in my weakness. Remind me of your presence. Lead me in your ways. Holy Spirit, teach me how to live in this world with hope, true hope. Hope that is not contingent upon having everything I need, but a hope that rests in the assurance that God has not forgotten this world and He is in control. We pray as a community of faith for those who are suffering in immeasurable ways across our world. For those who, like the Apostle Paul, understands that believing cost him something. That to be Christian may cost him his life. And we pray that for those whom these words are not just pure philosophy, but matters of life and death, that your future hope would be theirs. In Jesus' name, amen.